Welcome to Share the Stage. Today's show, we are, will have special guest Jerry Green today on Share the Stage. Share the Stage is really about inspiring people, lifting dreams, trying to come and bring them some knowledge and some insight that they might have not known before. And by bringing you on the show today, my, my ultimate goal is to help uh, one, showcase what it is that you do and, and what you're up to and, and how we as a community can support you. And one thing, I don't know if any of you guys are aware who, who Mr. Jerry Green is, but Jerry, you know, he he's, he's comes from a large family. I believe he, you're, you're a child of uh, eight, right? You, your mom yeah, had I'm nine the, kids, right? Right. I'm the eighth out of nine. So, uh, Five girls, four boys, and I'm number eight. Five girls, four boys, man. I tell you, your mom had a had a large, large family. Tell us a little bit about Jerry, uh, who you are, and and you know why why we should care. So, so at um, born in Memphis, Tennessee, Shelby County. Uh, at two years old, we moved to Michigan, and then at five years old, my father died. Mm. So, it was my mom and eight kids at that time. So when I was in kindergarten, they actually wanted to hold me back. And then my mom said, no, push it to first grade. Let's see what happens. So they pushed me to first grade. I ended up getting held back to first grade. But the thing was, is that I was just too immature to sit down. I don't want to listen to the teacher. Back then, we were getting books, highlights like many... Um, kids back then in the early 70s and reading. So I could read and everything like that. That wasn't the issue. It was just that I didn't want to sit out. And so now being an entrepreneur, I look and think, you know, she just couldn't uh, keep my attention. So, but I can see even in the work we do today, I can see myself in little students when they're labeled and when they're bullied and things like that. And so the work we do now, I really consider it as legacy because how my mom advocated for me and all my siblings. Wow, you know, we all need an advocate, Jerry, in life. I remember when I was in the elementary school and my mother, um, she, she advocated for me as well. There was an incident that I can recall that that I was one of those people that, that people labeled me as a class clown, Jerry. I just couldn't sit my butt down. I was like talking in class. I mean, it was it was a lot going on. I have a lot. I had a lot of energy. I still got a lot of energy. And I remember this one incident to where I called my teacher a pancake head. And I don't know why I did that, but they suspended me, Jerry, for for three days, brother. I was out of school and went home. And Mama was like, "Boy, I think she went up to the school after she dealt with me and made some batter out my butt." And then we went up to the school and she talked to the teacher and, and you know, she was hot. She was like, what do you, what do you, why, why'd you suspend my son? And I know a lot of young people out here, uh, preschoolers, elementary school people, uh, young people, they get suspended and, and it just happens too fast, too often. And uh, for a lot of reasons that, that you would think shouldn't even happen, Jerry, why is that? Well, let me say a couple of things. So about, Four or five years ago, California had to change a law for up to like third graders, kindergarten to third grade, for Ed Code 48900K. Uh, 
which was willful defiance, because teachers would use that as their cleaning board, meaning that if I say, well, Jerry, sit down, if I move too slow, willful defiance, kick him out. If I say, come here or stop talking, and as a kid, kids don't just stop on a dime, so I say another word, kick him out, willful defiance. So they were doing it so much that they had to say, you can't do that to the younger students because they don't know how to stop right away for different things. So that was something that the state of California had to step in and do. So what happens is, is that you have staff many times with our students are real heavy handed when we don't get the same opportunity of other students, of white students. We don't get the same latitude as white students. So what I found is in the work we do is that it's selective enforcement of policy and procedures because the ed code is just a guideline and it's a pendulum that can sway large or small in the gap in how students are treated. My goodness, and you're, and you're so right. You're so right, Jerry. And, and you know, a lot of schools, I heard they have this policy called zero tolerance policies. Is that, is that what you're talking about? How that, yeah. how that, in, how that started? Correct. And the thing is, it's, it's what is zero tolerance? And it's also the perception of how the teacher see the student. Because if I see little Jerry, I'm thinking, oh, he's a troublemaker. So he has to be bad. But if I see little Jacob, I'm thinking, oh, no, that can't be really what my eyes are seeing, that mm. Jacob doing that. So Jacob gets the benefit of the doubt. And we see it across the board. And now, I see it across the country. Wow. And, and that's the hard thing to, to have to accept that's actually happening, um, how we're automatically viewed as being bad versus you know, someone else is viewed as, you know, they're just acting out. And, and, and while we're talking about that, a lot of people may not be aware, and I'm still trying to understand it, this thing that they call implicit biases. What, what exactly is implicit bias? Implicit bias is the way I was raised and how I see things. So understand how we were raised, when we get animated, we just try to get our point across. Other people outside might get scared and think we're ready to fight. But we're just animated in our conversation. And so with that, now you see on TV that every time you see a black male, you see them in an orange jumpsuit or the media showing a very bad light of them. But when you see white folks, you're saying positive. So automatically, because of what you've been programmed on throughout your whole life, when you see a black student, now you're thinking this black student can't be intelligent. He can't be a genius. He can't be scholarly. So you're thinking, oh, if little Jerry scored well, oh, he has to be cheating. No, little Jerry's just smart. But you're not giving Lil Jerry the benefit of the doubt because of your implicit bias. Yeah, yeah. So it's an unconscious belief system that has been ingrained in a person over the years. 
So it's not even something that they're aware that's actually happening. I'm example, when they walk down the street, they see black men, they clutch their purse. You know, that automatically, they see a young black girl wearing a natural hairstyle, they think that's unprofessional because of the bias they have. Yeah, and it and it's a and it's a, something that that a lot of people have been dealing with. A lot of black people have been dealing with over the years. And in school, um, it's 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 crazy because the majority of young people that are getting suspended are African American uh, boys. And a lot of it, like you said, is being for disciplinary actions that should have not warrant that type of uh, level of discipline. So what usually happens once a kid is suspended or expelled from school? What what usually happens to the kid once they get back in school? So what happens is, is let me back up. So a kid is getting disciplined. So now they're going to lose valuable classroom instruction time. But what happened is, is because we saw the numbers were so disproportionate, then part of the uh, restoration, they would do in-school suspensions or in-school detention. That's still not giving that kid the classroom time. It just don't show the numbers that they get suspended. That's the way they cook the books, okay? So, but what happens is now, little Jerry, he's missing classroom time. He comes back in and he don't understand what's going on. So now what happens? Now he's going to act out because he's bored because he can't understand the lesson and now they kick him out again so now he's been labeled a troublemaker disruptive in class and now little jerry now has that stigmatism and that jacket that he has and now all the teachers understand this because they're talking on many teachers because they're talking now in the lunchroom in our break so now when they see little jerry in the hallway they're trying to push Lil Jerry's buttons to make Lil Jerry go off, to continue the process of now interrupting his classroom education. And what I call employees are landmines. So now our kids have to go to school and navigate the landmines because mm. the staff were bullying these students. And a third of calls we get are staff bullying students. Wow. So now trying to navigate this. And you have adults playing adult games on these little babies. Wow. And who's who's usually affected most by this, you know, this high this high school um, disciplinary actions? Who's so it's, usually it's affected problem, most? Not just not just high school, but the numbers go black male, black female, then white male. Okay or Hispanic male, but it's black male, black female. And so what happens is, is that in third grade, they have the standard test, and that's how they project and see how many prisons they need to build based on a third grade test. Mm. What happens also is a kid then start understanding where they fall in the hierarchy. And if someone doesn't come in and pour to that kid, and advocate and protect that student, then that student is in for a rough time, and then that's part of the preschool to prison pipeline. 
Oh wow, wow, wow. Yeah. So so the young kids, one, they're you know they're disappointed for one that they've been rejected from from school, and now they're confused. So now it's going to affect their self esteem, and most likely they're going to end up dropping out of school. That's probably why a lot of young kids. They fall behind and they end up dropping out and then end up in juvie or some other, uh, you know, area that they don't necessarily need to be in. Is that what you're seeing? By the way they're treated and everything, and they get disenchanted. So now, and because of their thinking outside the box and things like that, is being stifled now they feel that now they're dumb or something but they will create them but because that's not being nurtured they got to fit in this box now they don't want to even assert themselves as fully and to reach their full potential and the other thing is so they go through this process and then black boys drop out but black girls get pushed out of school Meaning that they're being harassed to where they say it's not even worth going in there because they know they're going to be harassed when they get there by the staff. So boys drop out, both black girls get pushed out. Wow. And, and unfortunately, it's happening across the nation. You hear about it all the time. And you also see things happening on television, but you're actually seeing it firsthand by being a black student advocate. Um, why did you get involved in, in this particular area of, of, of being an advocate? Well, let me say this right here. I didn't pick being an advocate, and an advocate picked me. Okay. So I was publishing the Southern California Black Business Expo directly doing Black Business Expos and helping businesses with grant, with grant openings, business coaching, and things like that. And then on April 2017, I was coming home from uh, Oklahoma. And the next morning, I had about four to six messages because a young brother in Reno Valley USD was referred to as a slave by his fourth grade teacher. Mm. So people inboxed me, people from the community said, Jerry, what are we going to do? We got to do something. So... I called a meeting with the superintendent or some community members and I spoke at the board and I said that the Hispanic teacher, the contract black assistant principal and the white principal all need to be removed from the site because they didn't handle it properly when the student came and reported it to the administrators. Excuse me. And so they did that. And then the phone just started ringing. Jerry, I know you know someone calls you your paper that they try to kick my baby out of school. And I'll be like, what, what is the meeting? They say Tuesday. I said, oh, I can move my schedule. I can go. So after three weeks and five meetings, then I looked up and the results were positive that the students, you know, results were positive. And I Googled Black Student Advocate and no one was in the lane. Oh, wow. And I I'll be the black student out And to make this go full circle, I feel the work I'm doing right now is legacy for how my mom advocated for us and my other seven, seven, eight siblings. 
So I just feel this is legacy work that we're doing right now. Our call, our purpose, and our passion. And you're absolutely right. It is definitely legacy work. We need advocates in our life. And, you know, I know someone who, who, um, who's teaching youth right now, and they tell me all the time how frustrating it is that they don't have the resources that, that they need. Uh, they're tired, they're overworked, underpaid. And when you have a teacher under so much pressure and stress and, and having a high turnover rate, not to mention that, um, how can they really build a relationship with these young people? without being frustrated so quickly and kicking them out of class? Well, first thing is they got to understand they were a student once, once themselves before. And they need to meet the student where they are without putting expectations on the student for where they want them to be. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if you just go to a student, and this is also a federal law, where you got to be the student where they are and have the student rise to where you are not stay here and expect the student to come here. So part of what's going on is teachers want to stay here and teach everyone the same versus doing some extra work and help individual students. And again, I don't give parents a pass. It's also a parent's job to make sure their student is prepared to learn when they go to school. And we do have to deal with a lot of household situations. Okay. Because when I'm talking to the family, then a lot of these things come up. And the work we do, I also deal with wraparound services, meaning that when we get the call, because it's traumatic to the family, we're going to ask, has your son or your daughter been in therapy? They need to get a therapy because this is traumatic. Oh, wow. Therapy. You need to get a therapy. This is traumatic. And also something else that we have to understand that to me, and my, I think that the whole black community needs therapy because things we see are not normal. We just normalize them. Okay. Is, is many times the parents have had the same situation that their student is going through, but it's because of PTSD, do not even want to go advocate for their own student because it's the same counselor or teacher Little Jerry, you're going to be a failure. We're still teaching little Jerry's kids. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jerry. And that's so good. You know, for those of you who are joining us tonight here on Share the Stage, we have Jerry Green, black student advocate, who is really out there making a huge impact to young people, helping them and assisting them. And it's something that's needed uh, across the board. When you talk about dealing with the school board and the system itself, what is all that about? What is this system that that so many of us are not really aware of that takes place behind the scenes when it when dealing with the school boards? So all school boards are governed based on state legislation and education codes. That's all it is. So the whole thing is, when I talk to parents, I tell them, you can cuss, fuss, and everything else because I understand your frustration being that I grew up in the community. But when we get on the phone and talk to the district representative, you can't say that 
but watch the language I use because all I'm going to quote is legislation and ed code as I advocate for this family. Again, we're not attorneys. We are advocates. But that gives us the advantage because attorneys have to play within a box, and I'll say they have to play within a box on a basketball court. They have to stay within the boundaries versus us being an advocate. We could be all up in the stands. We could be all up in the front office because there is no, we're going to follow Ed Code to hold them accountable. And we know what the Ed Code is. And not only that, we created our own Ed Code, which is the Black Student Advocate Ed Code. And the difference between our Ed Code and state's Ed Code is that our Ed Code includes the actual districts because a third of the calls we get is affiliated students. Wow, wow. So the school districts have a certain code that they use when they're communicating. So being an advocate, you've already done the research so you know how to get the results. Have you been pretty successful at, at what you've been doing? Very successful. So, so understand this right here, is just like law enforcement have penal codes, School districts have ed code. So when they call you and say, uh, Mr. Green, uh, little Jerry has done this and he violated this ed code. So now when a parent calls me, I'm going to ask the questions. Who are they? Who are you? What did they do? What did you do? How was you hurt? What do you want for a remedy? What's going to make you whole? And there's the parent going to tell me what they want. And then that's the objective we have then as the Black Student Advocate to meet the objective to make the family happy. And But again, we stand on their code. So if their kid did something that we can't defend, we let them know. Based on what you said, the actions of your student, we cannot defend that. But this is how we can make it a teachable moment for your student. Interesting, very interesting. Now, the majority of um, schools that you work with, are they in low-income neighborhoods? And and are you seeing that the schools that are in the low-income neighborhoods have a higher suspension and expulsion rate? And and maybe even some teachers that, that are not necessarily black teachers, um, so some of the students may not always be able to relate, or the teachers may not be able to relate. So, so let me tell you the difference. And the difference is when you're dealing with a higher economic uh, area or housing, let's say housing, because we still deal with real lighting. Okay. And you're a real estate person, so you understand that too. Yeah. That the parents are many times because of a higher area, then they're more involved. Because once you get involved, and the, and the teachers see you on site, and certain things they're not going to do to little Jerry anymore because you're involved, and they know you're not going to, you're not going to, uh, they're not going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. So what happens is many times the calls are for parents who might be working one or two jobs, or both per- persons parents are working, so now they can't get to the school district as often as they would like. But with that, California has a labor code that you could get up to 40 hours a year 
to go to school and deal with your student situation. But it has to be 25 uh, employees at a site or multiple sites. So that's a labor code that parents could use. So as soon as the school district put out their calendar, the parents could go to their boss and say, hey, I need to be at school on these dates. Because oh, wow. parents to be on site met about 12 times a year. So out of sight, out of mind. So it's very important to actually show your presence so that maybe you could at least let the people know, hey, I, I'm one of those parents that, that care. You know, me and my wife, we found ourselves always at the school. My wife is definitely on the advocacy label. She's definitely been advocating for my for my young uh, kids when they were in school. And it does take a it does take a, a true village to raise to raise a family. Um, what are some of the things you think teachers can do though that can help uh, change this preschool to prison pipeline that is that that's happened? Well, the, the thing is this, any teacher who truly advocates for a, for a student is then labeled a troublemaker and not a team player. Oh, wow. And that doesn't matter what color. But what happens is, is that if you have a black teacher at a school site, especially elementary and middle school, then that black teacher classroom becomes detention for the black students because white instructors, male or female, might not understand truly how to deal with a black student. So they send them to Mr. Green's class now. And now I become a disciplinarian for black students, a safe haven for black students, and a scapegoat for white administrators and uh, white teachers. Oh, wow. So we need to improve in this uh, quality of teachers then so yeah, that we can have a much better understanding on how to actually teach uh, different students from different races. Correct. So understand, 80% of teachers are white women. I see. So what happens is, is and we going back to your question, you know, implicit bias, if I'm so used to seeing black males displayed on TV 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, all the jumpsuits, then subconsciously I'm thinking that's who they are as bad people. I see. That's what the media plates as a black male as being so dangerous. But we have black geniuses who go into what we call these killing fields of education and they get disenchanted. Mm. The thing about when you, if you see a little boy two, three years old, how bright they are many times, and then when they come seven or eight, you're like, what happened? They go into the schools, and now their genius is being suppressed. Other kids are getting acknowledged when they're not. Other kids are being called on when they have their hand up, saying, I know the answer, I know the answer, I know the answer. They're being looked over. So all these unconscious bias things carry a heavy load for, for young students. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and the load is really heavy and it's consistent. You know, speaking of, of a consistency that I'm noticing is that a lot of schools are now 
they have more police officers than they have counselors on on to actually assist with some children some young people who might just need you know a counselor to sit down and talk to them to see what's going on in their household or or maybe the student might have some some health mental health issues or or maybe there's some trauma that might be happening in their life or you know or maybe they might be with a single mom or single dad and 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 they you know a latchkey kid so how do we how do we bring that that conversation to the table so that's a very slippery slippery slope and that's a double-edged sword because when a school district know your personal business when something comes up and many times that i've seen they're at fault they're going to say it's because of this was one on the household interesting so what happens is is that parents go in and say you know um well, Jerry is doing this because of this is going on at home. But when something happens at school, and then the parent comes in, they'll say, oh, it's because of what's happening at home. No, it's because you didn't protect little Jerry from other students, or you're bullying little Jerry yourself. Mm. So that's a slippery slope. But the other side of that is, is that we do need therapy for the Black community, and parents need to use the IEP, which is an individualized education plan or program okay. for a student, and we're on 504. And the difference is this. An IEP means that little Jerry has a one-on-one -on -one behavioral specialist, a speech therapist, and also might have some PT, because I might have something going on, you know, my modality. So now that's an IEP. The 504 is little Jerry's deaf in his right ear, so you send him to the front right side of the class, so now he can hear out of his left ear. So that's accommodation. So 504 is accommodation, IEP is actual services. But a parent can use these as a super cape to help their student and don't worry about the labels because if I have a behavioral problem being little Jerry, these might be things that might be covered in my IEP which means now I can't be disciplined for them, or I might not get just one uh, chance, I might get four or five. So that's a way to stop the preschool prison pipeline and keep little Jerry in the classroom engaged to get his education. Did you guys hear that? Did you guys hear that? He just gave us some great information. So you make sure you write that down. If your child is acting out, maybe you might need to find out if there might be something else going on and seeing if they could qualify for a IHP. And IEP, IEP, Individual Education Program. We gonna make sure we get that right. Individual Education Program. So it's very important that you talk with your, your who would they go see in order to set up something like that? So they can talk to their uh, homeroom teacher or any teacher to say, I want to have my student evaluated. Okay. And then the district has a responsibility to make that happen. I see. I see. And once uh, they so have... let, me say this all, let me say this also. We receive calls for IEP and 504s, but that's not our specialty. Okay. We need to other individuals who specialize in that 
because we want to make sure your student can get the best services and it can be the best experience for your family. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. So what about the students though, Jerry? Because you know how some students can be. Um, one, they could start actually uh, uh, going into this shell and withdrawing from the classroom or withdrawing from other people because they might feel like, you know, less than or, or, or maybe I'm, I'm different and, and, and not having the confidence that they need to continue to, to actually, you know, make a, make, make a move and, and, and be successful within the school. So, so we would hope that the parent would identify it or one of the teachers or an administrator. Something else that I want to say that, that's very important. Mm -hmm. If little Jerry is in fifth grade and he's reading at a second grade second grade level, little Jerry should not go to the sixth grade leaving reading at a second grade level. The school district still have a, a responsibility to make sure little Jerry is progressing, even if it's just a little bit. Because why do we have people graduating who are illiterate? Yes. That means that the system has failed this kid for 12 years or longer. But we've been paying these white teachers because 80% of school districts are white women to put out a bad product. So that's the other side of what we got to look at is, again, as parents, when the school district starts, you need to think about how you're going to be on site 12 times a year. You need to get your students' uh, syllabus or curriculum, what they need to learn. You need to, when you go to school, there's never just a get-to-know-you meeting. You need to have three topics you want to talk about with each teacher. Wow. And how are you going to deal with my student if my student's upset? How do I know you're going to treat my student fairly? What is your grading system? How do you want to be, how do you want to communicate? Through email, text, or through phone? That's very important because parents, you are the captain of the team. And this is your student is your number one player is the MVP. And you need to make sure that your student is getting all the supporting cast to make sure that your student is going to have an MVP year. Just that simple. Yeah. And, and in order to help them have that MVP year, I think having positive affirmations and, and positive uh, uh, affirmant, affirmative conversations with your student to let them know that, hey, yeah, their behavior is one thing, but you love them and it doesn't, it doesn't stop you from loving them, doesn't stop you from believing in them, knowing that, hey, you can still be successful even though you might be dealing with some challenges. And it's frustrating because, you know, as parents, we can get very frustrated, especially after constantly speaking, but you still have to have some type of expectations because unfortunately there's some kids out there, Jerry, and I'm sure you probably have seen this, that if you lower your expectations for them, they'll actually come up with a, in their mind that, hey, why should I do anything? You don't expect me to do much, so I'm not gonna do much and it can get worse. And that's, that's a low hanging fruit. So the thing is this, is that 
parents being the coach, and you need to say, you know something? This teacher is not the best for my student. I'm going to move this student, my student out of this classroom and put him in another class. I see. That's a better fit personality-wise and that I know that, ha- that will work with my student. So parents have to do homework to see what's going on at the school. I see. I see. Well, that's important. And the information that you're giving parents, I hope you guys are definitely taking notes because Jerry is really blessing us tonight um, with his time, as well as this knowledge that he's been doing with, with being a black student advocate. Why should a family contact you though, Jerry? Because the thing is, is that because I understand how school districts work, I understand the legislation they work within. We have created our own Black Student Advocate and Code to mirror school districts. We just included the district employees and ours also. And to understand that I was their student one day. So I put myself in their student's position when I advocate for them. So I look at families, again, how my mother advocated for me, I have to advocate for these families. And also understand, parents, if you don't advocate for your student, no one else will. That's facts. You have to be the best cheerleader and advocate for your student that you can be. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. And this is such a deep subject, and I'm sure we can't unpack it all in just this one conversation because there are so many different components that's actually a part of a student's life. And you, you mentioned the school district, you mentioned the parents, you mentioned the teachers, but one thing we haven't talked about much is the disciplinary actions of the school police that is actually present on just about every high school and 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 targeting at, at times i can't say it always happens but targeting uh certain students so many times we have they're called sros school resource officers which are law, law, law enforcement so what happens is many times staff and administrators are lazy and because they don't do their job using the air code, they use the police officers like a pit bull to sick them, to did to interact with students. But if students been bullied already from eight o'clock till one thirty, from teachers and I call teachers and staff landmines, been bullied with them all day. By the time a student gonna have an interaction with law enforcement in the second half of the day, it's not gonna be good mm. because students don't know how to govern their emotions. They don't know how to govern their behavior many times because once they get mad, they're just mad. Right. Now you have an interaction with law enforcement, which now deals with the penal code, where the action should have been dealt with from a district level and should have been head code. Mm. Once you deal with an officer and also reach for a student and they break away, you can have assault on the officer or resistant an arrest. Whereas the district could have sent their employee there and said, hey, I have a report with little Jerry. Little Jerry, come to the office. I want to talk to you. 
and that could work always better than getting the SRO involved. Wow. Wow. Because the other side of that is you gotta understand the SROs want to keep a position of authority. Right. So they're not gonna have a kid break away from them where other kids can see it and lose their position of authority. So that's the other thing you gotta deal with. You're dealing with law enforcement ego. Wow. So at this at this point, then that is setting a child up. I mean, obviously, they have to take full responsibility for their actions. Um, but again, the discipline should should actually match whatever the actual action was. And it doesn't always line up that way. So you'll find some some of these kids, literally kids in the juvenile hall system, and they end up constantly being in that system even as adults and it all started right. when they were kid right. because we don't get as black students the same latitude as white students or if you have hispanic administrators hispanic students mm -hmm. well this is a serious subject jerry and i know that there's a lot of work to be done in order to fix this um, we have some solutions. You have some solutions as well. And what are some of your do's and don'ts when, when, when it's all about when, when you're actually advocating for a, uh, a, a parent? So right away, since school years from the start, yes, need to read with their student, the student handbook. They need to also look on the district website. And then if, they're, if they can find it or go to it, the education code in their state for discipline. Because when a call comes from the school, the three questions the parent should ask is, where is that at in the student handbook? Where is that at on the district website? And can you show me that in ed code? And many times by asking those questions, the, the employee cannot find it or don't know where it is, and they're not in line with ed code. Because many times I've had to correct staff, even at the district level, saying that's not the proper ed code you're trying to use here. I see. I see. So what, what is the ed code? The ed code is the educational code which governs the discipline and all its legislation. Let me say that. It's legislation from each state, but also it comes from the federal level also, but it governs the actions of the school, of the district, and okay. then something happens, it governs the disciplinary actions of how they can punish a student. Wow, so it's very important that one, you ask certain questions so that this way you are more aware of the rules and the regulations and the codes of the school, of the district that you're actually in. You know, Jerry, I know a lot of parents, you know, they're working, they're out there living life, and some of them may not necessarily have the time or even the capacity to, to handle all of that. So that's when they would contact you or how, how, could some, how would someone reach out to you if, if they just, you know, uncertain about how to go about this? So they can uh, find us on our website, theblackstudentadvocate.com. They can Google the Black Student Advocate because we created this industry. So we're the only one who's gonna come up. Also, if uh, we have groups out there, we give out wristbands free. So this is a wristband, and the wristband has our website on one side, phone number on the other. 
so students can wear these wristbands and feel confident that in case something happens, they have someone to call. Oh, wow. That's powerful. That's because powerful. The thing is, because districts need to do the right thing, either, even when no one's looking. And when they don't, students need to have the confidence that they can call and they can have someone stand in the gap and advocate for them. Well, that's, that's awesome. We are so grateful that you have taken on this mission. And I am so thankful that you've come on to share the stage and shared your knowledge and some insight with the audience. I'm sure you have definitely opened a lot of people's eyes about what's happening within the district, some of the things that they can do. And I'm hoping that we can get you back on the show soon, Jerry. Um, before you leave us, can you leave the audience with, with one thing? And what would that one thing be, Jerry? And one thing would be parents, you are the team captain, you are the leader, you set the pace. And if you're not happy with the results of your school, look for another school for your student. Because sending your school, sending your student to school is a contract no different than a plumber. If you're not happy with the results, you should be able to look somewhere else. And do not overlook other schools out of state for online education for your students. Wow, wow. Well, you guys heard it first on Share the Stage. Jerry Green, you did an awesome job. We appreciate Thank your you. service, my brother. And make sure, audience, you guys go ahead and go to his website, blackstudentadvocate.com, and make sure you get as much knowledge and information that you can to advocate for your child. And you teachers out there, keep doing a great job and, and, and take some take some training because we all need it. We all need to be trained properly. Can, can I say one more thing real yes. fast? We advocate for both black students and black employees because we need teachers inside the building standing in the gap for these black students. And also any student, let me say this, anyone who calls us, we advocate for. Okay, I was gonna wonder. Yeah, so, so it's not just a, a black students, he advocates for all students and we love the kids, all kids. And unfortunately, uh, the majority of suspensions though is happening within the, the inner cities. And unfortunately, most inner city students are African-American. So we wanna thank you so much again for being a black student advocate and advocating for the community. We hope to have you on again. And for those of you at watch, we'll see you next Thursday at the same time, same channel. Thanks a lot, Jerry, for being part thank of you. Share the Stage, my brother. Bye now.